Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Today, I believe Sarah is going first. Yes, I'm going first. I'm going to talk about where curse words go, and I'm going to do so without using any modern curse words. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, because you, you and I um, have talked about before how we were kind of like trying not to curse while we, while we do this podcast just in case someone is in the car with someone with sensitive ears listening to this mm-hmm. so they can listen to it like, you know, we're not going to make it too like kid friendly, but definitely don't like curse up a storm. Cause I don't know. I mean, Emily knows this, but like I have a serious cursing issue. Like I have, I can be a bit like a sailor <laughs> sometimes. Um, I like to curse, but anyway, so where do old curse words go? Because, you know, modern curse words, a a lot of the curse words we use are actually very old, but there's a lot of curse words that existed before that we don't use anymore, and we don't consider them curse words. First of all, I'm going to define what a curse word is, and this is according to dictionary.com, and it's a profane or obscene word, especially used in anger for emphasis. And it also says any term conceived of as offensive. So this is an important definition because all language, um, language is part of our culture and it's made up. So I I went to Wikipedia on this. And and so I'm going to define profanity because profanity, uh, curse words are part of profanity. Uh And profanity is language that is generally considered by a culture to be strongly impolite, rude, or offensive. So it infers a lack of respect for something and can be often a religious offense. And that's where a lot of um, curse words came from to begin with. It was often, at least in our culture, the Judeo-Christian cultures, as uh, offense against God because it was against the Ten Commandments. So... Curse words, like I said, are just a construct of, of our culture. And um, like the culture and the people that have made it up, like us, it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So language changes because the same way people change. We migrate. We contact other cultures. Colonization will change cultures. Um, just being close to another culture. If we're geographically isolated. And then the needs of the people and the fashion of the time. And often youth culture will change the language as well because they are kind of either going against the norms or exploring or technology changes with them. And new words are combined with other words. We adopt words from other cultures, like words like sushi or chutzpah. Um, These are words that we've adopted from other cultures that we didn't have a word for before. Mm-hmm. Um, like sushi, like we, we don't call it fish cake. <laughs> I mean, you can, but. You're not going to get what you want to get if you ask for fish cake. Exactly. And words like um, use, words are used differently. A good example, an example that's used often, because I want to say this word, is awful. It was originally meant full of awe, like you're just amazed by something. And now we use it to mean something is horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In older times and still today, depending on who you're around, I have, I've known a couple people that are really pretty religious. Generally, they're Christian and they get offended when you use God's name in vain. So. Mm -hmm. It's kind of based on the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to say some old words that used to be curses, and you're going to tell me if I'm cursing still. Okay? So in the context of our current culture? Yes. Are you still cursing? Okay. Am I still cursing? Fop doodle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That just sounds like the name of a designer pet. (laughs) Right? It was an old word for a moron. Oh. And you might know this one, thunderation. I have 
heard either heard that word or read that word, but yeah. I would think you were just like doing a Yosemite Sam sort of yeah riff. It's an old version of WTF. Oh, <laughs> I like then, it. Concern, concern, oh, concern it, <laughs> concern it. Yeah, it's an old West thing. It's similar to the the GD it the gosh darn it. Wow, and that would have been considered basically the equivalent of saying G G D yeah. Yeah. Zooterkins. Oh, I would not have assumed I would have assumed you that was some new toy. Exactly. It's from the seventeenth century. It's a squash up of God's wounds. Again, any kind of curse word was generally curse or profanity was based on, you know, being like religious Curse words, Zooterkins, God's wounds. And then also. Isn't Zounds also God's wounds? Yes, Zounds. I was just going to say Zounds. Sorry. Nah, it's okay. I was going to say, as as like Zooterkins, it's Zounds. Sard. It's a medieval. Sounds like a Scandinavian cheese. Yes, it does. It's a medieval version of the F word. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so this sounds like sod. It sounds very similar to sod it. Oh, sod it. Oh, yeah. Sod it. Yeah. Gadzooks. <laughs> it's a, it's, um, they think it's based off God's hooks. Like, again, you're talking about God. It's medieval. Can I interject? Oh, I'll let you finish. Of course. Interact, so there's interject. a wonderful book called Catherine Called Birdie. Have you ever read it? No. It's by Karen Cushman. And it's about a, I believe, a 13-year-old girl writing a daily diary at the behest of her brother, Thomas, who became a monk and taught her how to write and everything. And she spends a fair amount of time trying to come up with the best curse she can in terms of (laughs) God's, you know, God's whatever. And she comes up with God's thumbs. And I thought that was a good one. Nice. Yeah. I like that a great book anyway i apologize for you're fine that's fun gad's budlikins (laughs) that sounds rude that does sound rude yeah yeah it's like a religious term for god's body it's like god's thumbs gad's budlikins gad's budlikins i don't even know how to say that it's like the name of a gnome yeah and then there's arf and arf and arf <laughs> it's a Victorian term for a drunkard. Orphan, orphan, orphan. Orphan, orphan, How do you know if you're saying that wrong? That's such a ridiculous. I don't know. I just saw it written, and I was like, orphan, orphan. And then there's a little accent in the middle, so it's orphan, orphan, orphan. And then there's an accent, and then it's orph. Our farfinarf. Our farfinarf. <laughs> I like it. Our farfinarf. <laughs> and then, of course, there's minced oaths. Do you know what a minced oath is? Uh, it sounds like someone with a lisp talking about chopping up oats. No, tell me. <laughs> a minced oath is something that you say instead of a curse word. So, God bless America. Or, like, shut the front door. Shut the front door. Oh, Sherbert. H-E double hockey sticks. Yes, exactly. Do you have a favorite minced oath? Hmm. I say poop a lot. I replace a lot of curse words, particularly around my kid, with the word potatoes. Me too! I use potatoes all the time. Full of potatoes? Yes stuff like that i don't know that i like it it's just a good way to keep me from cursing too much around my kid yeah since i'm around customers pretty frequently i've been trying to like stop cursing as much Mm -hmm. Um, so i say poop or i'll say fart potatoes oh fart potatoes (laughs) i do say butts a lot that's courtesy of adventure time Butts. butts oh and so this is interesting the word poppycock is an old minced oath for for the s word and it's from dutch and it means soft dung ooh 
Ooh, that makes that delicious caramel corn. I know. Take on a whole <laughs> new dimension. So this is interesting. Um, in in various places in the world, world cursing is illegal, like public cursing. But in the United States, generally, um, the government does not have the right to prosecute someone for um, using expletives because of the First Amendment. Um, however, this is if you're they. Do will convict you if you're inciting riots or disturbing the peace. It, it really just depends. However, in 2011, a North Carolina statute made it illegal to use indecent or profane language in a loud and boisterous manner um, within earshot of two or more people. But it was struck down in 2011 um, as unconstitutional. So there was an old law, but in 2011, they struck it down as unconstitutional, obviously. There was one in Michigan as well. Was there? It seems to have been common in older days for there to be profanity laws, but they've pretty much found that um, most of them are unconstitution, unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. I guess the city of Myrtle Beach in 2015 passed an ordinance that you can be fined for profane language, which is crazy. The only reference I really have to Myrtle Beach is, I don't know if you've heard that song about Myrtle Beach. It's a terrible song. Well, it's not terrible. It's pretty catchy, actually, and now it's stuck in my head. But it's pretty much just cursing and then the words Myrtle Beach. (laughs) That's probably where it came from. (laughs) It could be. Just people screaming that song. (laughs) And then I found a recent study found that people who curse a lot tend to be smarter. Heck yeah. Yeah, so there was a unit. There's been a few studies. Um, the there was the most recent one seems to be the University of Ross- Rochester took a thousand people, and they did their everyday habits, and they found that people who swore more, people with potty mouths, tend to have higher IQs. I found that interesting. I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another study at Marist College by psychologists found that people who were able to think of more curse words in a minute have better verbal fluency and tend to generally have higher scores in verbal aptitude. That would be an interesting exercise to see how many of the two of us can come up with. <laughs> yeah. Off, I, I off, actually did. off air. I actually did that um, when I was reading that story. I was like, okay, how many can I think of? I can think of a lot. And I'm very creative. (laughs) (laughs) So where do curse words go? That was my main question is we just, we stop using them. We, We use something else like tarnation or they become so used in public in modern culture that we no longer find them offensive and they stop getting censored. When you and I were growing up, you couldn't say a lot of stuff on TV. And now you like the limits only like two or three that you can't absolutely can't say on TV. Do you remember the South Park episode where they counted the number of times they said a certain swear word? No, I don't. Oh, it was, it was, I'm not going to say scandalous. It was very considered extremely edgy at the time. Mm-hmm. And it blew a lot of boundaries away in terms of what was and was not acceptable to say on cable television. <laughs> it's like, um, Sean and I were talking, but my brother was sent home from school one time because he was wearing a Bart Simpson t-shirt that said, don't have a cow, man. Huh. And he had to change his shirt. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I guess, I guess Bart Simpson was considered offensive. Oh, very offensive. Very vulgar. And I knew, I knew a girl growing up, she couldn't say the word suck. Like that was, that was not a word you could say. Like suck eggs, you know, like Mm -hmm. suck on a lollipop. She could not say that word. She was not allowed to. Yeah. And now, well, like, I look back on that, I'm like, Bart Simpson is not offensive at all. So it's just changed with the culture. Like, I find it, I find it interesting that it's moved that way. And he was, it was such a big deal back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just, it changes with our culture. We don't use tarnation anymore. We don't use. Yet. I'm going to use yet. it. 
Yeah, I am too. I'm going to start using uh, Thunderation. Oh, I, yeah. I think that, or Fop Doodle. I'm going to start calling people Fop Doodles. Consarnet. I think Consarnet. I actually recently used Consarnet in a sentence. Oh, really? Somewhat unironically. <laughs> That's funny. So I have a favorite curse word. Like, it just tumbles out of my mouth frequently. It's the F word. Like, I've had to actually rein it back because I realized that it was like, wow, I say that word a lot. And it's fine if I'm by myself or at home or, like, not around customers because my coworkers used to hearing me. But, like, when I'm around customers, I sh- I, I, I'm trying to rein this in. Mm-hmm. So I was curious, where did it come from originally? And um, it's pretty much been a curse word for many hundreds of years. It's from the late 1400s, and it's always kind of meant sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably Germanic. And I found this hilarious that a lot of the curse words that we still use are from a Germanic origin. <laughs> so Yes, like, I actually know why, if, if you didn't go ahead, get to that. I, I don't want to interrupt your flow. Do it. Do it. So a lot of English curse words come from the Norman invasion of yes. England. Yes. And Saxon mm-hmm. language, Anglo-Saxon language was what was used in England at the time. And Norman, is, it's, that's a version of Old French. Norman is a version of Old French. Saxon is a version of sort of Old German, kind of. Mm-hmm. Right. And... So, because the Normans were the ruling class, their phrases for things were typically considered upper class, and Saxon words typically became lower class words or curse words. Mm -hmm. So, the F word has a Germanic origin. Mm -hmm. The uh, Norman counterpart would be fornicate. Mm -hmm. So, Exactly. It has to do with class. A lot of it has to do with class. It's just, if the lower class people were saying it, it's probably something you shouldn't say so you look higher class. What's your favorite curse word? The one that I use the most is probably GD or GD it. Uh-huh. And I actually also say the phrase GD or GD it because I think it's funny. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> and then I did the, the S word too. It's actually Old English and, again, Germanic. And it pretty much has always meant poop. Because that's, like, I, I go from F to S, the F word to the S word. So, yeah, those are my two favorite. And it's pretty much, it's, it's about as old and it means to poop. And it's Germanic as well. So, the, I guess the Romans gave us roads and the Germans gave us curse words. So, yeah, that, that was fun. That was my where does it go. We just stopped using them or they, they don't become cursy anymore. Well, but then they come, become a, an enduring novelty that people enjoy. Yes, like Zooterkins. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> arf, 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 farfinarf. Arf, farfinarf. <laughs> farfinarf. I need to name something. Oh, my neighbors are getting a goat. Maybe I could, maybe I could convince them to name it Arf Arf and Arf. <laughs> Arf Arf and Arf. I bet I could. Maybe. We'll see. You could call, you could call her Arfy. Yeah. Arf Arf and Arf. Larf. And I, see, I didn't say any modern curse words. You did a good job. Thank you. I did a good job too, because all I wanted to do was curse the whole time you were talking. I yeah, know, me too. <laughs> It's such a terrible temptation. So was I cursing when I said those old words? Do you think I was cursing? No, I don't. I truly don't. I think they have completely lost their meaning. Exactly. Or at least the thrust of their meaning. So do you think minced oaths are cursing? I am slightly bothered by minced oaths. I understand, I guess, the purpose. But when people are... Talking to adults and saying things like, shut the front door. Yeah. Or you are communicating an intent while trying to be polite. Yeah. And the intent is not polite. Yeah. 
So it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, but I also have no interest in policing what other people say. Yeah. So say whatever you really want. Understand that you can be criticized for it, myself mm -hmm. included. And that's mm -hmm. not a violation of free speech, believe it or not. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the, true, though. You can the, say whatever you want. It's just you're not – you can say whatever you want, and you're free to do so. You're not free from the backlash of it, of other people. I think people confuse that. Like, they're like, but I can say what they what I want. You're right. You can. It doesn't mean that people have to like it. <laughs> and that people have to be quiet about disliking it either. Like, people exactly. could – could vehemently disagree that the phrase shut the front door has an impolite implication and that I'm wrong and a fool. And that's fine. Go ahead. Tell me. I'm on right. Twitter uh, more than I should be. <laughs> yeah. Fudge. I say fudge occasionally. Oh, fudge. Oh. I don't like fudge. So that's, fudge. A, that's when I should incorporate. Yeah. It makes me think of, what is it, Christmas Story? Yeah, Christmas Story. He says, he's like, but that's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where does it go? We stop using it. So I decided to go for a rather broad topic, and I think part of it was because I have been spending a lot of time editing our podcast. I'm trying to improve our work, and so I've spent a lot of time listening to the Astronaut Waste episode. Awesome. I'm going to talk about where Stardust goes. Oh, yay! And I have been reading the book Cosmos by Carl <gasps> Sagan. It's a good book. Yes, it is. I bought my copy from the Reardon Public Library in Reardon, Washington. I love buying book sale books. I love finding the little library card inside and seeing the last time the book had been checked out. Stardust. In order to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe, is something that Carl Sagan said in discussing stars and stuff. We're going to go on a little trip. I think that's the best way to tell this story or explain Stardust. Yay! And we're going to go back in time to arguably the beginning of our time, because you talked about time. That's another reason. Previous episode talking about time, I was thinking about the Big Bang. So the Big Bang happens, we think, most likely. And it generates an enormous amount of hydrogen. Mm -hmm. Hydrogen is an atom made from one neutron, one proton, and one electron in its most stable form. And we'll talk about unstable forms in a little bit. As the hydrogen sort of was hanging out, the forces between the hydrogen atoms started pulling the, some of them closer together, and enough started forming clouds of gas that they started to condense into denser and denser clouds of dust-looking stuff, which is mostly hydrogen. And as they continue to condense, they form a mass in the center. This is from gravitational forces, interatomic forces. And as they condense and go closer together, they heat up. And as they heat up, they start to get really hot and pull more hydrogen together and they can get hot enough that they can start to knock the electrons out of hydrogen. So hydrogen has one proton, one neutron, one electron. It can be ionized in the process of star formation to create just one proton and one neutron and then the electron is elsewhere. This is unstable. A proton is a positive charge. An electron is a negative charge. When the number of positive charge, charges and negative charges is equal, typically an atom is stable. And this is very broad. And there could be a lot of discussion about chemistry in order to you know, show that what I just said is 
insufficiently detailed to be correct, but <laughs> by and large. So once the hydrogens are ionized, then essentially a nuclear fusion reaction starts happening. And nuclear fusion is fusing the nucleuses together of unstable hydrogen ions to create things like helium. Helium has two protons, two neutrons, two electrons in its stable form. So one change in the universe as the hydrogen started to become ionized by the stars, quasars, and galaxies after the Big Bang, and this was 100 million years after the Big Bang is our best guess of when it happened. Yeah. And I'll explain kind of how we, how we understand that broadly. I will explain it broadly. It can be explained in much more detail by someone who is an expert. We are not experts. We're just interested. Anyway, 100 million years after the Big Bang, young stars have hydrogen, helium, and then they start fusing together hydrogen and helium to make some metals, like lithium. These are considered population three stars. This is somewhat confusing. So population three stars, they began coalescing, or that's not the right word, accreting about 100 million years after the Big Bang. Population two stars, which are made from hydrogen from the Big Bang, and then also leftover materials from any population three stars that had supernova. I'll discuss supernovas in a, minute, a moment. But population two stars are made from hydrogen and then whatever's left over from population three stars. They started forming 13 billion years ago, give or take. And then population one stars, which includes our sun, started to form about 10 billion years ago, roughly. Our sun is a population one star. It includes metals, hydrogen, and helium. And it coalesced from other supernovae. So... Supernova. Do you know what a supernova is? Yes. Cool. I'm going to tell you anyway. Excellent. It's when stars blow up, basically. They become so massive and reactionary, literally, not figuratively. They aren't, they aren't agitating politically. They are having many chemical reactions ongoing. They blow up. And they... <laughs> agitating politically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they might be. I haven't spoken to one, but it's, it's not in a way we can understand. So they blow up and they blow their stardust, which includes hydrogen, helium, and heavier elements, all over, just everywhere. The dust can include things like aluminum, silicone, and carbon. And then also, as the supernova happens, because it is such a massive reaction, the heaviest of elements can be generated. So even the supernova itself forms elements as part of the process. Oh, and, and I wanted to know how fast a supernova happens. Because I was, I was like, is this a slow, creeping horror show, or is it quick? So it happens at around 10% the speed of light. Whew. Yeah, 30,000 kilometers per second. So if our sun suddenly went supernova, which isn't, there would be signs thereof. But if it suddenly went supernova, it would take around 80 minutes for the edge of the sun to get to us, which is not a long time. That's, wow. It's kind of like, you have 80 minutes. What do you want to do? <laughs> well, and you probably have less than that just because the, uh, the force of the reaction includes like a shock wave and right. there would be disturbances of Mercury and Venus and Mars. It would, be a, it would be a mess, is what it would be. Yeah. So supernovae are not terribly uncommon. Uh, I believe that you can observe three per century in the Milky Way galaxy, which is our, our galaxy. We're on one of the outer spokes. And you can observe it using a telescope. So it's not, it's, it's a big enough to be visually identifiable. So... I've discussed solar mass creation and there in the Milky Way, there's about one solar mass generated per year in much younger galaxies and galaxies that 
were closer to galaxies that had formed closer to the in time to the big bang there were um, you know 20 a year of solar masses created in the galaxy so that's a much higher rate of solar mass generation i'm not sure about solar mass deterioration but that was all population three stars so those are all stars that are mostly made of hydrogen and then some helium and maybe a heavier metal so i've discussed now solar body creation from dust from the beginning of time or also elements from supernova and i've discussed what supernova are so how do we get to the apple pie from scratch that i was discussing how do we get to planets how do we get to an apple how do we get to us carbon how do we get to an oven so we'll talk about planetary formation planetary formation is not entirely understood i think it's impressive that we as a species understand anything honestly so i'm okay with not entirely understanding planetary formation at this point but planetary formation is very similar to solar formation a nebula of gas and dust and that could either be just hydrogen or it could be hydrogen and helium and heavy metals from a population three star supernova or it could be all sorts of stuff from pop one or pop two star supernovae i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that plural correctly the nebula becomes at through gravitational forces and interatomic forces a gas and dust disk and then a protostar forms so that's the mass where gravitational forces have created a small mass and through accretion of dust in the disk it forms larger bodies which are typically called let me find the word planetesimals <gasps> planetesimals i love that word yeah it's charming i think mm -hmm. and as time goes on and gravitational forces interact and things just bump into each other as they're moving so there's you know space is an enormous thing and it's mostly empty but stuff bangs into each other somewhat often for such a large space as things accrete planets large a little larger than mars start to accumulate an atmosphere so instead of just accumulating stuff into a mass where we would think of like the surface of the earth it can include also building up an atmosphere and that pulls through atmospheric forces even more planetesimals into the planet and eventually you end up with a slightly more settled planet you can have a giant planet including you know, examples would be like jupiter or saturn you can have an ice giant examples would be uranus and neptune or you can have a terrestrial planet like us or mars now we have a moon jupiter has umpteen moons there are a lot of heavenly bodies that are not planets in our solar system and those planetesimals those uh, moons though the the kuiper belt with all the asteroids and everything those are all things that have not yet either settled into the surface of a planet or become their own planets they, I, I hesitate to still call them in flux because we are also in flux at on earth we are changing our own atmosphere atm our atmosphere is changed through inputs from out outside of it self so it's all in flux it just isn't in the state we're sort of used to as living beings on a planet and through changes in the atmosphere and the planet and usually it involves tectonic change the elements that create or make up life which includes carbon hydrogen oxygen nitrogen silicone no is it silicone or is it so yeah i think it's silicone and something else anyway there's a series of elements that make up life as we know it those start convening into self-ordering components that then eventually become life 
and then eventually become an apple and a person, and then a person makes an apple pie. Yay! <laughs> that's where Stardust goes. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. One last little factoid, I guess, is that Population 1 stars, which are made up of Big Bang remnants and Population 2 and Population 3 star remnants, are more likely than Population 2 stars and Population 3 stars to have planetary systems around them, which makes a lot of sense in that the fewer other heavier elements you have sort of in your general vicinity, the less likely you are to become a planet and the more likely you are to become a star because stars were the first thing that accreted massively in our universe is my best understanding as a biologist. <laughs> and this is still all like not really all that understood either by astrophysicists as well so there I mean, have been we're, some we're always learning yeah and there have been some recent developments as recent as 2017 which i still think is last year and it's not it's two years ago where they have discovered galaxies that are because of the way that light travels through space and aims toward us they have found basically visual evidence of galaxies that what we can see is their state at 400 million years after the big bang so recent and i'm making air quotes which is useful for a, an auditory medium i'm sure <laughs> but it's recent after the big bang comparatively speaking and so they can see how they can see through I believe it's through spectrography, the makeup, the elemental makeup of the galaxy and where the galaxy is in terms of how many solar masses are created per year. But it can tell us as a species a lot about how our galaxy formed, our universe formed, ourselves formed, and our apple pie formed. Yes. And so our sun is a population one star, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the oldest ones are the population threes? Yes. Okay. Because I thought that there are some population three stars out there that, like, we think are just about as old as what we think is the Big Bang, is the age of the Big Bang, right? Yes. The, yes. That's crazy. And like we talked about in the time episode, everything's moving away from each other because of entropy mm -hmm. the laws of thermo thermodynamics so there's stuff out there that we can't see at all it's just been exploded out with the big bang right there was a uh, survey done about the sort of elemental composition of our galaxy the milky way galaxy and the conclusion was that the elements that make up life as we currently know it are most abundant at the center of our galaxy and we are toward the edge of our galaxy and so they're not quite as abundant and so it's interesting that we have life on this planet when the building blocks thereof are not as abundant as they could be in toward the middle of our galaxy i wonder if that's where all our alien friends are i hope so yeah me too i i you know, I'm assuming we're not alone. It seems silly to think we are. Like, the universe is so enormous. Why would we be the only planet in the universe with life on it? That doesn't make any sense. So, not Agreed. to any way. So, I, I hope that someday we'll meet friendly aliens. I don't want them to come and eat us. That would be nice. Yeah, I'm sure we don't taste all that good anyway. <laughs> Maybe we'll meet them because we're, we're eventually going to have to colonize the, the solar system anyway. Mm -hmm. That's true. So I was just, so I was listening to this um, song called Fishman's. It's a very strange song. I think most of it is in Japanese, but um, it made me think that, you know, Europa, I guess Jupiter has 70 some moons or something, but only like, 
four main ones, the Galilean moons. Mm -hmm. So it made me think of Europa and how it's an ice planet for the longest time. We thought like, Oh, if there's any, there's any more life in our star in our solar system, it has to be, it has to be on Europa or one of Jupiter's crazy moons. Um, so I was thinking like, there's this, there's this fish man and he lives there and he's got a cafe. We just need to go find him so he can make us, so he can make us lunch. <laughs> I hope this is true. I hope this comes to be. That would be a I great little, go to, little comic. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my sci-fi aside for the day. I have a vampire fact. Yay, vampire facts. So one of the main ways that humans have tried to prevent vampirism from plaguing them is through either it's through burial practices or amendments to existing burials. So one of the practices that was not tremendously uncommon in Europe, and there have been a lot of vampiric or vampiric adjacent lore in the world but in europe it would not be terribly uncommon to cut the tendons at the knee to prevent the dead from rising from the grave this does not take into account flight apparently <laughs> or putting sharp objects into the burial site into the grave so that if the corpse bloats it will be pierced by the sharp object and apparently this deflates the vampire and then they can't so that's that's sort of a an aspect of the staking a vampire to kill it people would also just pound stakes into the heads or hearts of deceased people to prevent them from rising again and there are places where bricks would be forced into the mouths of female corpses to apparently prevent them from rising and feeding off the living. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's honestly kind of gross, but. So much time and effort has been devoted to preventing vampires. It's. I'm surprised that we don't do more as just part of our everyday life. Because there's things like if you spill salt, you take a pinch of it, you throw it behind your shoulder to blind any witches that might be behind you <laughs> is my understanding of why you do that. But it's surprising to me that more of these behaviors aren't reflexively integrated into our everyday lives mm -hmm. or not as much anymore. Yeah. Because I can't think of any modern burial practices in the Western world that have to do with vampires or vampirism. It seems like we've pretty much gotten over that one. We don't chop people's heads off anymore. Nope. As far as I know, we don't put bricks in their mouths. Like not we to my knowledge. We embalm them, but that is like Civil War era so that we could, um, like they would be preserved until they could get home to their families for a burial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. That's so interesting. So I, I discovered Caitlin Doherty. She's, she's um, the Society, the Society of the Good Death. Um, she's really cool. She's got a YouTube channel. Um, and she talks about burial practices and, and stuff. I discovered her when I was doing um, Unclaimed Dead Bodies. Mm -hmm. And um, she, I, I guess she'd be a good one to ask, like, if there's any practices that happen that are, have their roots in, like, preventing vampires. She would probably know. <laughs> I can't think of any offhand. Unless the flowers oh, yeah. are a component of that. Maybe. Huh. Oh, I don't know. I don't either. I Like, it's not something that has ever entered my mind. Like, I've been to quite a few funerals, unfortunately. And, like, 
I can't think of anything. Like when we buried my grandma, like there was never like, okay, now we got to put a brick in there so that she doesn't try to eat us later. Like <laughs> it's so terrible, but still. Yeah. Or cut her tendons. Oh, that's so weird. Like they can't walk around on their, on their knee stumps. Like I don't know. Or get fly. That. Or fly. I mean, don't you, vampires usually fly. They become bats or something, right? I think transmutation is a component of vampiric lore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a uh, reuse idea for us? I don't. Do you? No, I'm not sure I do. Oh, no. I know. Oh, I do. I'm sorry. I do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a project that I want to do soon, and it is using quickcrete and sand Ooh. And old towels to make planters. Oh, that's cool. So you mix up quickcrete with some sand in it if you want for texture. And then take a square of old towel. Uh, we have several, and I'm going to do this. I'll put pictures up on the internet when I do it. And you soak the towel in the quickcrete and then drape it over a form, preferably something, you know, a little flexible like plastic. So that has a flat bottom, so it could be even just like a, an existing plastic pot for plants. And as the quickcrete cures, you can then paint additional layers over it, if you would like. And it becomes a very handy and really neat-looking planter. <gasps> They're called sometimes hypertufas. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that is technically a, a slightly different process. It doesn't tend to include a fabric base in the planter creation, but the fabric base is sort of the reuse component of using old towels for something other than a rag. Then you can drill holes in the bottom once it's fully cured to allow drainage. How long does it take to cure? Do you know? I don't remember how long quickcrete takes. It's called quickcrete, so it's not that long, but yeah, it's it's got quick in the front. So yeah, <laughs> that's amazing, Emily. You want to know why? Why? You know, I'm obs I obsessively collect houseplants. Yes, it's like the time for me to take some of the big ones out and give them new pots. And pots are ridiculously expensive, and I'm just like. I have too many plants for me to be buying pots like this. Well, and do you so, have old towels? I have, I have many old towels. All right. And we donate them all the time at estate sales. Like we donate them to like the, the shelf, like for dogs and stuff to the vet's office and to the ASPCA for mm -hmm. the dogs there. And so I'm just like, Oh, well maybe I could use a couple of those towels too. Yeah. Maybe we this should do this project together. Amazing. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Quickcrete is an interesting, maybe I should do where does the moisture go in curing cement, concrete. Go ahead. Anyway. Well, yeah, I wanted to do where do languages go, but it's such a huge topic that I was like, okay, I'm going to break it up. I'm going to be like, where do curse words go? Yeah, I wanted to do where stolen artifacts go, but it's so... I'm reading a book called Stolen, Smuggled, and Sold by, I believe it's Nancy Moses. Oh, wow. And it is... I thought it was going to be some fun heists. It's not fun. It is staggeringly... Sad. Sad, and it's a, a subject with tremendous depth... I think I was expecting something along the lines of like drunk history and <laughs> that's it's it's much better and not that drunk history is bad but it is a much deeper subject than that so I'm gonna have to do individual heists right and right. stealings yeah exactly well so. drunk history drunk history is fun I you love that show I know, I do too. You learn a little bit of history. You get to see people be arf and arf and arfs. Arf and arf and arfs. Yes, arf and arfs. And there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh man. Arf and arf. I got to incorporate that. <laughs> arf and arf and around. <laughs> that's great. 
So yeah, that's where it goes. Awesome. And I'm glad that we have the Big Bang happened and all the all the elements accreted so that we could exist yeah. and eat pie. Oh, so- man. I have two pie crusts, homemade ones, frozen. I should take Ooh. those out and make pie. Yeah, because the universe had to be made from scratch in order for you to make those pies. Yep. Oh, I wanted to express gratitude for all of our followers on Twitter and Instagram and all of our listeners. You guys are great. And it's a lot of fun to do this in general, just chatting with Sarah, but it's even more fun to share it. So I'm very grateful for the interactions we have on our social media. Yes. And I, I absolutely love like the text messages I get and the messages I get from people that are just like, this is so fun. I was thinking of you the other day in your podcast. Um, someone requested that we do black holes and I said, just wait, <laughs> just wait. And cause I said, um, the uh, new episode time is going to be coming uh, with time in it is meaning probably on Tuesday, right? Maybe. Yes. Okay. It, it, it has already happened as of the release of this current yes. recording because we record, I compulsively hoard extra episodes as if we're going to not be able to make it one week. And so we have to have extras. It's, I mean, it's a good idea. We might want to go on vacation some week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I want to go on vacation every week. Agreed. So thank you to everyone that listens to our little, little weekly weekly book reports. Our weekly. That's exactly what I love it. Yeah. Thank I you. Do. I do too. Follow us on inst- Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. You can find just about links to just about everything at our website, where does it yes. podcast.com. Yes. yes. That's the easiest way to find us. Thank you. Thank you.